This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Should we cave to China? As you heard in Bob's News, 19 former politicians and diplomats sent a letter to the Prime Minister urging that Meng Wanzhou be freed in a bid to release the two Michaels. The signatories to that letter include... Jean Chrétien-era ministers Lloyd Axworthy and André Ouellette, former Conservative minister Lawrence Cannon, and former diplomat Robert Fowler, who was himself taken hostage in 2008 in Niger. The letter also refers to a legal opinion from prominent lawyer Barry Greenspan, which says that the extradition proceeding against Hmong can be suspended by the justice minister and those who argue for going uh, this way, say that the whole thing is political anyway, and it's just put us in the middle of a trade war between the U.S. and China. And the U.S. has uh, said that political considerations come into this too. And as you also heard just this morning, the prime minister weighed in saying that bowing to this type of pressure would just put more Canadians at risk. So, There's a larger issue at play here, and that, of course, is China as a global bully challenging democratic norms. So what should we do? Because it seems like we are in the middle of the two superpowers and paying the price. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now we are going to Hugh Stevens, a distinguished fellow at the Asia-Pacific Foundation of Canada and an executive fellow at the School of Public Policy with the University of Calgary. And he is in Victoria. And Dr. Charles Burton, who is a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute and an expert on Canada-China relations. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome, Libby. Good morning. Good afternoon. It's good morning in Victoria. So It is. <laughs> we'll start with you on the West Coast. And what is the view from there? Because that, of course, is where uh, Mung is holed up in her mansion. Well, I can't speak for the view from the West Coast. All I can do is share some opinions. I think the views out here are probably on both sides of this, as I guess they are in other parts of Canada. <clears throat> I've got to say that, uh, you know, having looked at, uh, having now read carefully the letter that the uh, that the 19 uh, signatories sent, uh, including a number of my former colleagues at Foreign Affairs, uh, you know, and I have huge respect for the, the, the people that did sign that, you know, one can understand, in a sense, where they're coming from. It's very easy to be sitting here on a on a beautiful day and saying that, uh, you know, dismissing these concerns. I have tremendous sympathy for the family and fully understand uh, why they're embarking on this uh, this public campaign. I mean, I would do exactly the same myself. And I think Bob Fowler, in fact, indicated that, you know, he has a lot of personal empathy, having both him and his family having gone through this process. So, you know, one understands why they are, in a sense, grasping for this straw. It's 
it, it, uh, and, and it's particularly exacerbated by the whole situation of COVID, which, you know, which may make the situation somewhat unique. But at the same time, you know, there are these important questions of principles. I have to say that I come down where the Prime Minister is at the end of the day, that uh, to, to, to knuckle under to this, and then you, we can, and we obviously will discuss some of the arguments about whether it's political, whether it's legal, and so forth. But I think the fundamental principle at the end of the day is once you start paying ransom, uh, it's an endless uh, journey. And um, if the prime concern of the government is to protect Canadians abroad, caving into this particular kind of uh, political blackmail is a, a short-term gain for a long-term pain. Charles Burton, what's your view on this? Well, I absolutely agree with uh, Hugh on this one. And, you know, certainly I think we could have evoked um, 23.3 of the extradition treaty, um, considering the Chinese government's um, very strong response to our um, detaining the Huawei CFO. But once they uh, kidnapped two Canadians and subjected them to brutal treatment um, as a sort of form of blackmail, coercion, and menacing of us, um, I think that option was off the table because we cannot give in to uh, this kind of um, gross violation of the international rules-based order. And the Prime Minister has taken it off the table, too. He said, I totally disagree with these distinguished Canadians. Um, you know, you can see that that if the you know if we release Meng Wanzhou and the Chinese then fulfill their side of the deal and released um, Mr. Kovrig and Mr. Saver, um, you know, thereby admitting that all of the charges against them of espionage were almost uh, certainly unjustified. What do we do the next time when the Chinese arrest Canadians trying to pressure us on the Huawei decision? How do we tell those families that we gave in to pressure and and uh, responded positively to the, you know, the deeply felt desire of the Kovrick and Spaver families to get their loved one back to safety, but we can't do it with you. It just sets up a, a, a dynamic which would be impossible for us. So I think with a great deal of, of regret, um, we have to continue to try and uh, engage with the Chinese on this matter um, and put pressure on them, but um, caving in wouldn't be the right thing. I see that uh, Dick Fadden, the former national security advisor to both um, past government and the current government, says that it's in the national interest that the government should significantly increase the pressure it can exert on Beijing, even if we must pay an economic cost for doing so. But it would not be in our national interest to uh, to um, release Meng Wanzhou. Uh, you know, some of the arguments uh, made in this letter and, and by the people who signed it, I found quite interesting. So on this, you don't pay uh, ransom to hostages. Robert Fowler, who himself was a hostage, said, you know what? Every government says that publicly we would never, uh, you know, agree to pay a ransom and they all do it covertly. And I believe that's true. And uh, the other thing is that, you know, um, this is all political. Donald Trump has made it clear that that he, he would deal with this to a certain way um, as part of the trade war. So why should we be standing on principle and, and paying the price when, frankly, the Americans have not really been that supportive on this? Hugh. 
Well, uh, there, there's no doubt there's a political element to this. And, you know, Mr. Trump's loose lips, uh, which may or may not be U.S. policy from one day to the next, have certainly indicated that he personally would be prepared to play politics on this. And, you know, that will be a factor that's going to be considered by the court when it gets to that, the, when it gets to those arguments. It's going through a various, it's going through various processes. And the first step has been that, in fact, double criminality has now been confirmed. So now we go to the next stage. Quite a, there's the abusive process in terms of her arrest, but there's also the issue as to whether, in fact, there there has been political intervention. And the minister, of course, can make that decision uh, once the court has come to its deliberations. But the question is, intervening now in the middle of a process really does uh, set up uh, um, really does set up the equation of political intervention into what is essentially a legal process. Yes, 23.3 says the minister can intervene at any time. Uh, and the minister could have intervened early on, uh, perhaps to indicate that this was not in the Canadian national interest. But why would the minister intervene at this point? There's only one reason why the minister would intervene at this point, and that's because the Chinese are putting pressure on uh, the, the, the two hostages and their families are making this a public issue. And in fact, it's a direct uh, quid pro quo. On your point about uh, do governments pay ransom, of course, there have been instances I think nobody knows for sure exactly how Bob Fowler, fortunately, was released. There was an indirect payment of some sort. The Canadian government has still maintained that it did not pay ransom, but there was some, something paid to somebody. And governments do what they can, of course, to protect their individuals, uh, that their, their citizens abroad. But, you know, to compromise in a, in a, in a very public and a very open manner the functioning of uh, our, our bilateral extradition treaties and our legal process, Process, um, really does just invite further retaliation. I mean, so, so Charles mentioned, what about 5G? Uh, I mean, in a sense, the Chinese, if, if Canada does take the decision on 5G to, to further block it, um, the, the Chinese will take reaction. They, they will react, but it probably will be a like-for-like like kind of reaction. I hate to call it like-for-like, like, but I mean, basically uh, taking economic measures against an economic measure. But what if in future there's a further, a further legal case? What if the there's a, uh, an, uh, some kind of a transaction relating to money laundering or criminality or anything involving somebody of, uh, of links to the Chinese Communist Party in Canada. Does that then set up the stage for further grabbing of Canadian hostages to interfere with the legal process? So I think we have to be extremely careful as to the precedent that we're setting. Charles Burton, uh, it's also been argued that basically we have a responsibility to bring our people home and that uh, we have to do this in order to, quote, reset our relations with China and that until this whole issue is cleared off the decks, we won't be able to do that. What, what about that argument? Yes, I think that that's uh, very true, that our relationship with China is currently on hold pending resolution of this. I think, um, you know, certainly when the uh, family of Michael Kovrig came out into public, it was because they were being told by the Prime Minister's office that, you know, it's best that you not speak out, that we're working hard behind the scenes to resolve this issue and that your uh, public statement would um, inhibit our, our quiet diplomacy. But I think after 560 or so days, 
perhaps they realized that our government is was really not doing anything to to indicate to the Chinese government that what they were doing was unacceptable because we wanted to protect our economic interests in China and you know powerful business and corporate interests uh, have a lot of influence over uh, decisions made at the senior levels of government rightly so important players um then the letter was sent you know they got an opinion from Brian Greenspan and I don't really see why they needed that certainly uh Louise Arbor and um, and Alan Rock, um, you know, can understand 23.3 pretty clearly, which they then sent privately to the Prime Minister's office and after a month received no response at all. Now we have a situation where a public letter has been issued, and this then weakens our position vis-a-vis the Chinese because it's public, because the Chinese government now perceives that there's a possibility that we will cave and um, and that there is a split in our ranks with regard to how we should be engaging uh, China with with regard to Kovrigan's favor. So I think it's highly regrettable that these 19 distinguished Canadians decided to release the letter publicly before engaging um, with the relevant authorities uh, privately on this matter. Well, you know, um, you pointed out, and and Hugh, what do you think that uh, the families have been told for over 500 days uh, that don't, you know, keep quiet, we're dealing with this. I mean, if... It would seem that our government has been completely ineffectual as a small, I won't even, I hesitate to use the word power. We don't seem to have any leverage at all or not anything that we are willing to use. And uh, it was interesting. I saw that the Chinese government welcomed the statement from the wife, um, Miss Najibola, and you got to wonder, did they get in touch with her and ask for it? Um, um, it's it's kind of a mystery. Hugh? Well, I, I, I agree that this is not going to be helpful. This, now it indicates that uh, there's a split, uh, and the Chinese will play on this, and they are quoting um, the letter to say, well, we told you all along this was political, the minister should have intervened, and, and so on. So, of course, in a sense, it is playing into their hands. Um, you mentioned uh, the, the, the frustration of the family, and of course that's true, you know, be, just trust us, we're working on it. And so one can fully understand why they think, okay, we tried this, so let's try something different. Um, I don't know. We, we, you, you suggested the government's response has been completely ineffectual. Well, it's certainly not been effective in terms of getting their release. Um, we don't know what they've been doing because a lot of it has been taking place behind the scenes. We certainly know that uh, there's been an effort to mobilize other governments to speak out and so forth. But it does also come down to the question of leverage. And I know Charles is going to say, well, we should be doing various uh, other things, uh, the Magnitsky Act and so forth. And, you know, maybe that's something that should be considered, but it is, it is very true that Canada has limited leverage. Would doing some of these other things actually help the situation of, uh, of, of the hostages, or would it just make us feel good? So I think uh, I, I, maybe it sort of reflects my background as somebody who's worked in government for a long time. There's a lot that happens that is not on the, on, on the, uh, on the surface. Um, 
at the end of the day, Bob Fowler was released through various uh, um, machinations that took place behind the scene. There was no public caving in. There was no payment of, the, of, of, of direct ransom, but he was released. So, in fact, the system did work in the end. And I think it's too early to say that the government actions have been ineffectual. And I would prefer to give some credit to our, to our diplomats and to our government, who I know have this issue very much at the, uh, at the top of their list and the front of their concerns. And uh, while, again, it's easy for us to say give them more time, I think that's, there really is no other alternative. Okay, I'd like to give the numbers out again. I know that when we have talked about this in the past, frankly, uh, a lot of people in our audience say, this isn't our fight. Uh, you send Mung back and, and get the two Michaels back because they are suffering needlessly. So people, do you still think that? Or do you now agree with the prime minister who was saying, no, that will just put more Canadians in danger. I'd like to hear from you. 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-744-740. And Charles Burton, over the last week, there has been a little more support internationally for Canadians. We've seen Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, come out. Some European uh, diplomats and politicians have come out calling for the release of the hostages. And suddenly, Justin Trudeau is sounding a little tougher. What is behind that? Well, I think that uh, certainly public opinion polls indicate that something like 80% of the Canadian population is not satisfied with the way that the Canadian government has been handling this situation. And we're seeing um, the opposition taking on Canada-China relations as an important issue in our national debate, one which may actually be significant in the next election. Um, you know, I, I think the Chinese are surprised at the degree of foreign support that we've received for this. I think they hope to keep it bilateral. And I think there may have been an expectation both on the sides of the Canadian government and of the Chinese government that um, public interest in Kovrigan's favor would start to fade over time. But now here we are 564 days later, and uh, public interest seems to be soaring in regard to this matter. So I think from, from that point of view, um, one can see that uh, the, the, the pressures on the government to give this more priority than they have been. I know that the government has been claiming that they've been giving it a lot of priority, but, you know, with full respect to what Hugh says, I, I don't see any evidence that we've done anything that has been able to um, show to the Chinese government that what they're doing is, is something that we cannot continue to give tacit consent to. So, and, and frankly, 564 days is an awfully long time for these men under these appalling conditions to, to wait while, um, you know, behind the scenes negotiations are ongoing. And from what I hear, we're having difficulty getting access to the Chinese authorities at all um, over this matter because we've been more or less um, frozen out and, you know, China doesn't have to take our ambassadors' calls if they don't want to. Okay, I'm going to take a couple of calls on this. Uh, Kathy and Etobicoke. Hi, Kathy. Hello there. Um, my comment basically is that Ming is being treated like a little princess. She's allowed to, uh, allowed to run freely in her own home. And, and yet the two people that are two men that have done absolutely nothing wrong are being held in deplorable conditions. Uh, and nothing's being done about it. I, I don't believe that we're taking a strong enough stand on it. And I think if, if 
if we're being fair about it, we need to put Ming in, in a prison and treat her the same way as what our men are being tolerated. And with her affluence in the Chinese government, they'll have it fixed in a hurry. I'm sorry, we, we've been nice far too long. We've put up with far too much nonsense. Um, yes, we are peacekeepers as, as a rule, but you know what? This has gone on long and far. This wasn't even our fight. It was an American fight, not ours. Okay, we Kathy, have thanks. here in the first place. Thanks for that, Kathy. Let's well, go to you. Stuart in St. Catharines. Hello. Hi. Hi. Yeah, I think uh, they should. I'm the opposite of this last caller. I think uh, Ming should be let go. Uh, the two Michaels. Uh, then, then they can go home to their mother because she's on the radio all the time, worried about her children, which is noses. But also, uh, Ming, her father is a very rich person. He wants his daughter back too. So just let him go. They should let him go a long time ago. Okay, thanks for that. And, oh, oh, and as far as uh, the two Michaels, the last caller said, "Oh, they're in horrible conditions." What, what does she know? I mean, uh, this girl here, her father. He's just as rich as Steve Jobs. Of course, she's not going to be going in those prison. But maybe those two should have been. I don't know. But well, okay. Okay. Um, from what we know, they're being held. They have had a little bit of contact, and they're being held in in terrible conditions. Uh, I'd like to bring in now Colin Robertson, who is a former Canadian diplomat and vice president of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. And uh, hi, Colin. You say that we have to be careful with China. Yes, because uh, you know, it's all very well for eminent Canadians, of whom I have great respect for, to say that the Justice Minister has the authority to uh, order the release of Meng Wanzhou. You know, that, that's a legal opinion, and it's probably valid, and it's probably been valid from the beginning. But the government has taken a different course. They've said, no, we're going to let this run independently, and the Prime Minister has sort of wrapped himself in the cloak of rule of law and independence of judiciary, so in a sense it's a moot point, been raised again, but to Mr. Trudeau, this latest yesterday, I think even this morning in his news conference, said no, that's not what we're going to do. The other thing that I think is important to remember is that the Chinese show absolutely no sign of willing to do what effectively would be a swap, and uh, certainly discussions I've had with Chinese officials, now that they, the last one was in February with the Chinese embassy here, they've always said, free Meng Wanzhou, and then at some point down the road, we would talk about the two Michaels. And so when I press them to say, you know, what's down the road, we're talking years, not months. So I, I think that the whole this whole conversation is, is a bit academic, because unless the Chinese showed some sign of willing to play, which certainly there's no evidence that suggests that Prime Minister's given no indication, Foreign Minister's given no indication, the Chinese certainly give no indication, then I'd think that we're in a tough spot. I do think after 564 days, uh, you know, we, we need to change our strategy, and I, I, I think that the we need to take a tough but targeted line with China. Uh, trade won't, trade sanctions won't work, they'll just hurt Canadians, but I think I would uh, sanction the sons and daughters of senior Chinese officials who are studying in Canada. We've got 140,000 Chinese students in this country, and a small percentage of them would fit in that category. I would simply lift their visas, share their names with the Five Eyes uh, allies, the U.S., Australia, New Zealand, and Britain, and say, you know, we <laughs> don't give them a visa, because the one thing that the Chinese prize above all else is an English language education. Uh, Xi Jinping's daughter is at Harvard, the uh, Premier's daughter's 
at another American university. Uh, this is where the senior Chinese officials send their kids for schooling. So if, if they were denied that, I think that would have some effect. We have to respond, I think, but asymmetrically. Up to now, it's basically been grin and bear it. But I think there are some things we can do which require some out-of-the-box thinking but are necessary now because there seems to be no break, and, and it's, it, it was a foregone conclusion with the indictments that the two Michaels are going to be convicted and face either capital punishment or a long time in prison. Uh, Charles, is that a good idea, uh, you know, uh, sanctioning some of the students who are here studying? Well, I, I just uh, to uh, just to respond to what uh, Colin said, uh, the, the Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesman uh, uh, today has indicated that um, if we release Meng, they would re- be able to work out a deal to release Culverkin's favor. But you know, this is a moot point at this stage. But uh, no, I, I'm I'm reluctant to punish students. I I think we have to separate the uh, regime from the people. And, um, you know, I think it's a good thing for Chinese students to have exposure to um, uh, free and democratic society. I do think that uh, we have got significant reports that agents of the Chinese state working for the uh, People's Liberation Army have been coming to Canadian universities to engage in sensitive research, hiding their status as um, as uh, agents of, you know, as members of the PLA and transferring um, sensitive technologies to the Chinese army, that's got to stop. We have to crack down much more on agents of the Chinese state operating in our country. I think the other one would be a Magnitsky list, which is similar to what Colin's saying, but would target um, senior Chinese officials who have huge amounts of unexplained wealth uh, here in Canada invested in real estate and other things. And if we, if we were to um, identify... Uh, Chinese officials who are complicit under the um, Justice for Victims of Corrupt Foreign Officials Act, um, you know, including those who have been involved in the concentration camp program against Turkic Muslims in the northwest of China, that that would hit them in the pocketbook and would likely have quite an impact in Beijing because, um, you know, ultimately people love their money and regardless of how they derived it, and that uh, that tends to have a, a fairly strong dampening effect on on politics. Uh, yeah, I I had a thought, which is um, maybe one positive thing coming out of this letter, and and perhaps it's sending a message to our allies, saying, "Hey, you know, uh, we need help with this, or else we might cave." Am I, uh, uh, you know, is is that a thought, Hugh? Well, we've been working with our allies all along. I think they're pretty well aware uh, what sort of pressures that we're under. Uh, this obviously shows that we're under increasing pressure, from, including from Canadian public opinion, and so it puts us into a more difficult situation. I mean, at the end of the day, the solution to this rests in Washington, D.C. I mean, they could withdraw the extradition request tomorrow. And I find it kind of interesting, you know, Colin is talking about uh, sanctioning Chinese students, and he cited a couple of high-profile uh, offspring of Chinese leaders studying in the U.S. Well, the U.S. doesn't seem to be doing anything about this in terms of uh, hitting students. And I'm actually, I agree with Charles. I think that uh, going after students would be the wrong approach. Um, so uh, it's all well and good, you know, to talk about even even Magnitsky sanctions at the end of the day. If you're hitting people's wealth abroad, they presumably had squirreled that away illegally since uh, uh, the uh, since there are well-known restrictions on capital flight out of China. 
So maybe it would simply allow the regime to throw a few more corrupt officials over, overboard. I'm not saying that Magnitsky shouldn't be looked at, but I think if you do it, you have to be extremely careful how you target it and make sure at the end of the day that you're actually improving the situation rather than making it worse for a lot of people who are really only tangentially involved. Okay, uh, we are uh, just about out of time on this, so uh, let's get a uh, some final thoughts from uh, Colin. What would you like to leave us with on this? Where are we at? Well, I think say say prayers for the two Michaels. They're in pretty desperate situation and have been for what five hundred sixty four days, and so somehow I think it's important that we keep our keep the government focused on trying to get them out and work with our allies who up to now unfortunately there's been words but uh, not it would be i think self-delusion to think that our efforts our collective efforts with the allies have borne fruit okay and charles has has, has this set us back or uh, moved the issue forward i think it has set us back uh, I, I think that it's time for our government to recognize that it's more important to address the, the case of Kovrigan's favor than to try and protect our economic interests with the PRC. And Hugh? Well, I, I think the useful part of it is that it's reminded the Canadian public of the plight of, uh, of, of Michael Kovrig and Michael Spaver. Um, I think it wasn't front of mind for many people, but maybe others had sort of uh, not, not uh, thought about it. So it's, it's good to, uh, to keep that pressure on. Um, as we've discussed, we don't, I think we all agree on this call at least that the solution is not to uh, simply intervene in the process, uh, bigfoot the court out of the way and, 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 and send her back in the uh, expectation that they will be released, but to continue uh, the process that we have while keeping our advocacy and our support for them uh, in every reasonable and possible way at the forefront. Okay. Uh This is uh, something that, uh, unfortunately, is not going away. I'm sure we'll be discussing this again soon. Thank you so much, Colin Robertson, Charles Burton, and Hugh Stevens. Really appreciate your time. Thank Thank you. you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.